we are in a series entitled American Idol. We're looking at some of the idols that we see in our country <coughs> and probably, if we're honest, from time to time in our own lives, those things that begin to take preeminence in our lives. Today I'm going to talk about the whole topic of sexuality. <coughs> I, I realize that what I have to say today is, is becoming archaic. I'm just going to tell you this up front, if not foolish, to the majority of people in our country today. The cultural jury is in. They have made a decision on a variety of sexual experience outside of marriage and the verdict is not guilty and that verdict is being translated and propagated throughout our country today. Sex outside of marriage is normal. It's expected. It's part of a new day. It's how we do relationships and I I want to focus the word we. <clears throat> it's how we do relationships in this culture. That verdict is being modeled and taught very effectively in our culture and uh, in many appealing forms of, of communication in our day. How prevalent is this? Uh, the latest surveys I read that said uh, of couples between the ages of 18 and 24 who are dating, 95% are sexually active. So those, that's the last data that I read. Uh, <clears throat> a very rare exception that any couple dating today is not involved sexually uh, outside of marriage. What I'm going to say is going to sound very out of step, obviously, with the culture. But we're, we're talking about this highway of holiness, which is, which is God's design in, in a variety of, of areas. You know, last week we looked at God's design for success and we said something very countercultural. You know, the, in God's eyes, the person who is the greatest success is the person who humbles himself and who serves the most. It's not the one who has the most money, who has the most power, or is in the highest place of prestige, but the one who serves. And so it is in the area that we are looking at this morning. We're not going to spend a lot of time in the ditches today because I, I want to talk about God's design for sexuality. And it's obviously a much larger topic than I can cover in the next 20 minutes. But I want to just share a little bit. I, I just went online and I, was, I, was, I just pulled off three responses, the first three responses to this question. Is sex outside of marriage okay? We know it's very prevalent in our, in our culture. And so that was the, the question. And so I just wanted to share with you uh, three responses which I, I think are very enlightening and will help us understand the times in which we live. Here was response number one. If you are worried about this, this means that you are tied up with religious mind programming, which in turn means you have a bigger fish to fry. When one is not wound up with mind programming, sex before marriage is a non-issue. Why? Because marriage itself is a bit silly. 
Relationships are not meant to last forever. Once you've explored to its fullest and most useful extent, then it is both natural and healthy to move on to learn more things from new people. This culture has been very effectively brainwashed into unhealthy, limiting social practices by forces which do not want people to grow in spiritual and psychological strength. If people do that, then we might all stop being slaves. So, and as I read through these, I, I, what, what I want to bear out is that there, in, in my, this is my perception here, my, my belief, but I think there, this deception in our culture has, has gone to the point where people start talking about uh, <clears throat> not only that it might be acceptable, but it, that it is the healthy. It's a healthy thing to do, not only psychologically, but spiritually. Uh, that is the shift that is taking place in our culture. This has always been an issue. I, I remember being a, a sophomore in high school and, and picking a note up under the chair of the girl that sat next to me describing her first experience with her boyfriend. And so th this is nothing new, but in, in the day in which I grew up, people generally knew that this was not the way to do relationship. And there has been a very dramatic shift in that over the course of the last 40 or so years in our culture. Now we see that not only is it prevalent, it's, it's being called the right and healthy way to live and to do relationship. To do otherwise is seen as unhealthy and oppressive in the culture. Here is response number two. This is from a, a young gal. Most of the people I know would consider marriage either irrelevant or something you would do only after you've been in a stable relationship for years. And then only if you feel the need. It's a legal contract of very little significance. The concept of not having sex until you're married is so utterly alien to the culture I live in that I actually have a difficult time comprehending it. Now, this is an, this is an honest statement. And, and I'm going to tell you that our culture has taught this in an extremely powerful and an extremely pervasive and in an extremely effective way. And so this young gal saying, you know, you ask this question, I, I have a hard time even comprehending uh, what you're talking about, just keeping sexuality within marriage. Here's a third one. This is my favorite because this guy's got some insight and, and he's, at least he's honest. He is, I believe, deceived on one of his, majorly deceived on one of his points, but listen to what he says. Sex before marriage is a commitment that you either make or you don't. For those who do, sex is more meaningful. It is a part of yourself that you have only and ever given to that one special person in your life, and it makes your relationship stronger, and it makes you feel closer both physically and emotionally to your spouse than you've ever been with anyone else. Okay? So he's saying, you know, if, if, if you make that commitment, then, you know, you, you have a more meaningful sexuality. Sexuality becomes more meaningful and it becomes something that makes the relationship stronger and, and bonds you to that person. Then he says for those, and this is obviously the position he has taken, for those who don't make that commitment, 
sex is more enjoyable. Save yourself for marriage, people. I'm sorry, but it's true. When you've opened yourself up like that outside of the bonds of a lasting relationship, then you are really experienced sex for the physical power that it has, and that is amazing. In a marriage relationship, there will always be things in your mind during sex. The fight you had last night, the kids in the next room, the rant that's due, that get in the way of just letting go and experiencing all the pleasures of wild, unchained sex can have. So this is written by a guy, young man, who is basically saying, look, I can either have sexuality that is meaningful and something that builds stronger relationship and something that will bond and bind me in a relationship, or I can be involved in something that is purely and simply pleasurable. That's the, that is the decision, and he has made a decision for the latter. These attitudes demonstrate the culture in which we live. And, you know, as you look at the statistics, it's interesting. Most people pursue these avenues because they, they feel this best. I've talked, to, I've talked to many people that have said, you know, I, I think sex outside of marriage is, is good and it's something that you should do because if the day comes when I do get married, I want to make sure that the marriage lasts. And, and I think people legitimately are pursuing what they think and believe to be the best and, and the right way to do relationship. And so studies, however, show to the Congress, National, I'll just mention quickly, the National Marriage Project, University of Virginia. And these are, these are not Christian uh, organizations. This is University of Virginia. What do premarital experiences have to do with marital equality? Uh, individuals who've had more sexual partners or experienced cohabitating are not as likely to have high-quality marriages compared to those who had less. Uh, men and women who've had other sexual partners before marrying each other report less marital satisfaction. Uh, marital satisfaction was higher with women who had fewer sexual partners. Marital dissatisfaction was greater in proportion to the number of partners. Sex before marriage, this is from New York Cornell's University. It says sex before marriage can lead to unhappy, mar unhappy marital relationships. According to researchers, abstinence in courtship is a healthy approach to building up a gradual sexual relationship. Um, premarital activities may have lasting effects on relationship quality, while higher levels of relationship quality were observed with postponed, postponed sexual involvement. And, and basically the statistics in a variety of studies, uh, this one says that relationship, relationship stability scores 22% higher in those that, that abstained and that those who also chose abstinence found the value of the relationship and satisfaction rose by 20%. The same findings in the Journal of Family Psychology. And so the point I'm just making is, is that though culture is propagating this as the best way to do a relationship, uh, statistically, statistically, when you look at couples, it is not reported that that is the best way to do relationship.
The Bible's very clear about how we have gotten in this place. And I, I've been talking about the area of sexuality outside of marriage. There, there are many perversions in the area of sexuality. Uh, Romans 1, 21, 24, 28 describes this process in a culture. And so I would encourage you just just follow along as I read Romans 1.21. It says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. In other words, to not glorify God is to not honor Him for as the authority, as the one who gives the word on how we do all of life, including our sexuality. Once we abandon His authority in our lives, then this is what it does. It says, verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Verse 28, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. And so people's thinking becomes distorted. And God simply, when we take God out of that position, what quickly moves in, predominantly in a the culture, there are two things that are very close. One is money, and the other is sex. And if you were to talk to a marriage counselor, you'd say when a couple came in, 90% of the time it's one of two issues, money or the sexuality in the marriage. And so we see, just like in the garden, you know, if Satan has a trick that works, he will use it. And in the garden it was, you know what? God is trying to, he's trying to hold you down. He's, he's trying to hold you back. You need to make up your own mind on this and, and do your own thing on this. And so we see that our culture has left the highway, taken many roads. We're talking about premarital sex, pornography. We're talking about extramarital sex. Um, there are over 3 million adults swinging on weekends. Same-sex relationships, of course, is a big issue and topic in our day, and it's a very prevalent thing. Ravi Zacharias was talking to a, a large campus of students, and as he was speaking, one, man, one young man got up and he said, he said, can you be a Christian and be a homosexual? And so Ravi Zacharias shared this story. So I was, I was speaking and there was a reporter that came up to me and she said, I'm going to stay for just a few minutes of your talk. And she said, I, I just want to let you know I was going to be writing an article. And he said, well, I hope you stay longer because I, I think I, what I have to say is of interest. As it came to be, she stayed for the whole three hours and followed him afterwards and, and came up and, and she asked him this question. She said, Dr. Zacharias, it surprises me she said, it surprises me that you speak against racism, but you discriminate, you discriminate against the homosexual. And so Dr. Zacharias gave this response, and I think, it's, I think it's very instructive for us. He said, the reason that I am against racism is that every race is sacred. There, there is no, you know, blacks are not worth, worth more than whites. Whites are not worth more than blacks. You know, 
No race is of more value than another. All people are created of equal value in God's eyes. That is a sacred fact. And any aberration of that, Ravi Sakura, he said, I, I, am, I have to speak against. He said, and then he said this, sex is sacred. It is sacred. And any aberration of that, I am required to speak against. And so the same reason why I speak against any aberration that would create a a racist kind of a culture, so I speak against any aberration of sexuality which uh, which would go against the design for which which God had, had made it. And then he went on to say this. He talked about in his own life, and he said, you know, he said, I, I don't struggle with same-sex attraction, but I am a man, and there are certain sights which stimulate my body as a man and tend to stimulate the imagination, and this is a battle that I have to deal with every day. He talked about just that issue in his life. And he talked about the fact that I am not free to act on that disposition. I have a temptation to, to lust. I have a temptation to, to look at certain pictures. And he said, I have that disposition. But I am not required and I have a choice as to whether I give in to that disposition or not. He told the story of Henry Nouwen, a professor at Harvard School of Psychology, a, a great, uh, great, great teacher, great author. He talks about him going to a museum in New York and looking at Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son. And for three hours, he stared at that painting. And, and God was doing something in his life. And he, he came back and he, he resigned from his position at Harvard and went to Toronto and worked for the next several years with mentally handicapped people there in obscurity. And in his last book, he wrote, and in that he shared that dispositionally he was uh, a homosexual. But he said, for the sake of Christ, I chose not to act on that disposition. Do you know that we are all dispositionally, in some way, all of us, dispositionally, that there is something within us that deviates from the sacredness of sexuality. There's not one of us in this room. Because that disposition is called our flesh. And, and in the area of sexuality, it's one of the most powerful, powerful dispositions that all of us have to deal with. I know two things. Number one is every person needs grace in this area. Because every person in this room has transgressed in the area of sexuality. There is not a one of us that can cast stones. I think that because sexuality is such a powerful thing, I think that's why it so easily creeps into that position that that only God can have. And the second thing we need to know is that sex is sacred. God designed it for a very specific purpose. The church has often not done a good job of this. And we have failed to communicate the beauty and the wonder of sexuality. 
Nobody does, God, nobody does sex better than God. Nobody's way is better than God's way. And to the young man who said, you can either choose uh, to do it God's way or you can to- choose to do it the most enjoyable way, I would take issue with that. I tell young people, if you want to enjoy sex to the fullest, then do it God's way. He created it. He designed it. He delights in it. He is very positive about it. It is a holy, sacred thing, and he has a design that he's revealed to us. Sexuality is sacred. Let me just share, I'm just going to share real briefly four of God's purposes for sex, okay? This is the highway to holiness. We're not going to spend a lot of time, but I just want you to, and you can take some time and think about these. Number one, sexuality is designed for procreation. That's probably not news to too many of you here. This is the act to which children are brought into the world. It's amazing. The whole process of how a child is born is just an amazing thing. It's part of God's plan. Genesis 1.28. You can see it there. You know, it says to fill the earth. Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful. Increase in number. Fill the earth. That's done through sex, which God created. It doesn't happen any other way. And so we see here that this was God's design and that marriage is the environment. People come together. They get involved sexually. Children are born. There's, there's two parents there to, t- to take care of those children. Do you know that raising children is a lot of work? I know any of you who are here and have raised children, many of you probably have as a single parent, that is a lot of work. And God's design is that there would at least be two of you to manage this task. You know, we've we've had millions of abortions in this country and one, one, not all, but one of the predominant reasons for that is that children have been born to people in situations where they were not married and thus were not in a position where they felt they wanted to or were capable or whatever it was of raising that child. That's because God's design is that sex happens, children happen when you're married. Two people able to raise those children. Now God can certainly work outside of that and any of you who have been a single parent know that. But that is God's design. Procreation. Reason number two is the bonding of two souls into one. Genesis 2.24. It says that the two shall become one flesh. You can see Genesis 2.24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The foundation of that meaning one flesh is that they will literally come together in sexual union with one another. Look at 1 Corinthians 6.16. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. Saying, look, you know, in Corinth, people were, you know, they, they would go to the temple and they would hook up with a prostitute and, and Paul's saying, don't you understand what's happening when you do this? There is this one flesh experience that takes place. 
there's something very powerful, and, and I'm going to even say mysterious, about a sexual relationship with someone. You know, you can have a guy or a gal friend. Imagine you have a, a, a great friend that's a, of the opposite sex. You can share everything together. You can care for each other. You can be close. And let's say you have this relationship, and one night, let's say one night you would come together in this relationship, I will guarantee you everything will change, won't it? What is that? Why is that? Because God designed something to happen in, in that relationship together that, that, that brings the soul together in a way that no other experience does. And when you try and separate that, you always, you always tear a piece of that person with you. You do that enough time and, 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 and you begin, it begins to, to wear at the fabric of, of a person's own soul. And so we see here that the, this purpose of coming together is, is another purpose. A third purpose is for enjoyment. We don't have time to read through Song of Songs today. But if we were to read through that, you would see a couple simply enjoying one another. And so in marriage, there's the spiritual enjoyment where God intended for a couple to be able to, to sit down and, and read the Word together, pray together, and experience spiritual oneness. There's a oneness that comes when you just enjoy each other's soul. You know, it's that personality. You just enjoy taking a walk together, talking together, enjoying that kind of oneness. And then there's the enjoyment of physical oneness, of enjoying one another in that way. And so we have this oneness of body, soul, and spirit, which was God's intent. Enjoyment is a big piece of that. Look at Proverbs 5.19. I won't embarrass us with too many of these verses. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. God is really into, uh, in a marriage, people enjoying one another. And so we see that enjoyment is a part of this. And anybody that says that sex can be more enjoyable outside of God's design than God's and then in God's design, I will tell you, has been deceived. There is something very powerful about the sexual relationship. And having been married 35 years, you might think you might get tired of something after 35 years, but as a relationship grows deeper, the experience grows deeper. And so if you take the relationship out as the young man did earlier, there is only a diminishing of that experience. In fact, this is such a powerful thing that even in, in old age, that there is the power through just the, the memory of this experience together, which is something that you have to have been married a long time to understand what that's all about. Lastly, this is also a metaphor. It's a metaphor of the relationship of Christ and the church. Look at Ephesians 5:31 and 32. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. 
Marriage is sacred because it has a divine purpose. And its divine purpose is to be a metaphor of the relationship of Christ to his church. You know, we tend to think the marriage is just about us. But God's design for marriage is that it would, it would be a metaphor, a picture of something even greater. And it's really a picture, it's, it's like a taste of the experience we will all have one day in a spiritual union, which we've just begun now, in a spiritual union with Christ. The marriage union can be a wonderful thing, but it's nothing compared to the spiritual union we will one day experience with Christ. And so marriage is a symbol of this. And so as we come together to celebrate communion, which is a remembrance of God's covenant of the spiritual union with His people, so sexuality becomes as sacred as communion as when you come together as a couple celebrating again the covenant vows that you have made that you will love this person faithfully for as long as you live. Because that's the covenant that God's made with you. And sometimes marriage can get very hard and very difficult. And when you begin to view your marriage in light of this metaphor, you begin to realize that those opportunities become not necessarily an opportunity to bail, but an opportunity to demonstrate this metaphorical, metaphorical picture of the relentless love of God for His people. This morning, I have just begun to touch on this topic of marriage. But marriage, uh, sexu- se- sexuality, I mean, and sexuality is a, a very, very sacred thing. This morning, I'm going to conclude with a, a clip of a young man and... You know, I, sh- I shared some clips of some young people that I, earlier that I, I believe have been deceived by our culture and by the enemy. And I don't, I don't condemn those people. I don't condemn anyone here who is struggling in their sexuality. We've all had our struggle in this way. But I want us to be aware that, that God has a sacred design for sexuality. And this young man understands that design, so I just want you to listen. Uh, and I was really encouraged just to hear a young man who's not married, but listen to him talk about, in a, in a very eloquent way here, about sexuality and marriage. Disney movies and chick flicks, they've put us in a weird position. They've distorted our reality because we forget they're actually fiction. Because in marriage, we either get better or bitter, either joy or remorses. What we're doing isn't working. Just look at the rate of divorces. So how's your marriage? I mean, come on, let's be honest. Marriage seems to sound more like a prison than the paradise they were promised. We thought marriage is supposed to fulfill us and make us happy, not lonely. But the truth is God's first priority is making you holy. You say, no one told me. It feels so odd that dating feels like a vacation while marriage feels like a job. Yet the secret of joy, if we just pull back the facade, is realizing most problems arise when we elevate our spouse to God. Without knowing it, we fulfilled Romans 1, 25. By our actions, exchange the truth about God for a lie. We've exchanged God for lesser created things. It's like a husband trading his wife for a 2D image on a screen. 
hoping it'll set us free just to find on the fumes we're choking. Because if your marriage rests on anything but Jesus, it's resting in something broken. Yet guys continually sacrifice their marriage on the altar of sex and lust. I mean, if our dollars were honest, they'd stay in pleasure we trust. So men, grow up, put down the controller. How about you lead her with grace instead of trying to control her? Now, I've never been married, but I'm a product of one that was non-existent. So don't tell me I don't understand the pain. Don't tell me I don't get it. So for the singles, become friends first before you ever become lovers. Pursue Jesus as your foundation before you get under the covers. Because believe me, a strong friendship before marriage will make a good marriage after. Marriage isn't just sex, it's conversation and laughter. I mean, some spouses barely even like each other, and the marriage seems like a dead end. You might share a checkbook and a house, but are you actually friends? I mean, if marriage isn't a commitment, then what's the point of the vows we say? Till death do us part, really means until the feelings go away. Like, I'll stay with him, but only until it gets tough and my love shifts. But I say, imagine if a parent took that perspective with their kids. Like, can't you see it? The minute the kid spills something on the floor, the mom's saying, forget it. I don't even love you anymore. No, it's just like marriage. To last, you need the strength from above. Because it's not the love that sustains the promise. It's the promise that sustains the love. I mean, think about it. Out of anyone who's actually had the right to leave, God had every reason in the world that he still came for you and me. And on the cross, he paid it all, took our shame and set us free. When he could have called down legions of angels, he chose to stay on that tree. From the cross, he looks you in the eye and says, I'm taking this for my bride. When you trust in me, you no longer have to hide. Because of me, it is finished. You've been made new. You're spotless, you're blameless. There's no sin in you. Because his death was a proposal. He wanted you no matter the cost. Where some guys propose on a knee, Jesus proposed on a cross. So read Ephesians 5, whether husband or wife. Wife, honor your husband. Husbands, give up your life. Just like Jesus gave himself up for his bride, the church. So men lead by serving, by putting her first. So die to self, put your flesh on a life sentence. Because you don't fall out of love as much as you fall out of repentance. Father, this morning we are challenged by your word to us to live out our sexuality as you have designed it. Father, we understand that this is a concept which is, Father, so to many strange in this culture in which we live. Yet, Lord, you are the one that desires us to experience all of life Father, as you designed it. And so we, we pray for this, Lord. I pray there's so many of us here today. We're all in different situations. Some are single. Some are, are married. Some are, some are divorced. We have parents. We have single parents. We have every situation, Lord. We have every kind of sexual disposition that would pull us away from you present in this room today. And we certainly need your grace. And Father, we also need to follow you. And so we need your power. And so whatever it is, Lord, that you have been speaking to us about today, whether it's a secret sin in one's life, or whether, Lord, I don't know, whatever, there's so many different things. Might we just hear what, what you are speaking to us about, and might we, might we seek to get back on this highway? And might we have the courage and the humility
Father, to walk this highway. Lord, thank you for our time here. And uh, Lord, just, just do your work uh, through your word today and through your spirit. Father, we seek to glorify you uh, in this area of our lives. And so help us, we pray, in, in Jesus' name. Amen.